Carolina Weather Group here. We have a really special interview. Actually, our first in-person interview, and we're not we're doing that with no other than Eric Thomas, Chief Meteorologist at WBTV. <laughs> Thirty-three years, Eric. Yeah, hard to believe. Yeah, and uh, at the end of twenty twenty-one, uh, you're going to be hanging up the uh, the old weather jackets. So, yeah, you know what I tell people is that I'm not running away from this as much as I'm running toward, you know, other things I still really want to do. And I'm really, really blessed. Uh, I just turned 60, uh, you know, and I'm just extremely blessed that I have the opportunity to to do it, you know, at this age, you, you, you know, while I'm still young enough uh, to get out, see the country, maybe see the world, but uh, I want to take things one step at a time. There's so much yeah. of this country that I haven't seen. And uh, we'll probably get into this a little bit more, but I, I really want to explore my love of photography and video and photojournalism, if you will, filmmaking. Right. Um, and yes, weather will be a big part of that. Um, I love weather. Uh, I hope I do after this amount of time. Um, but I would like to get out and, you know, not necessarily chase tornadoes, but if the timing was right, maybe, maybe do some of that. But I would love to get out and, you know, do some lightning photography, aerial photography, things like that. Um, and, uh, you know, spend more time with my wife. You know, my 92-year-old mother here is in Charlotte as well. So uh, would like to certainly take advantage of some time with her as well. So what was it like, Eric, um, making this decision? I know, you <laughs> know big relief or like... ...me home yet underfoot. Um, so, you know, it was sort of a partnership in terms of how we came to this decision. Um, you know, we wanted to make sure the finances, you know, were where they needed to be as well. Um, and, and finally everything just kind of came together, you know, over this last year and, and, and I've been comfortable with it. I've been really anxious to kind of spread the wings, if you will. Yeah. And having said that, you know, I mean, that's, none of that is to say that, you know, I disliked my job, you, you know, and as you say, we'll get into that more. Um, but it was just one of those things where, you know, you look at the clock and you realize I'm 60 years old. Um, I just had my first grandchild who was born literally like three weeks ago. Um, and so knowing that earlier this year as well was sort of another chapter in this decision, you know, um, that the time just seemed like it was now, it was just the right time. Yeah. Yeah. So talking about your retirement, I've, I've got to tell for those folks who have probably watched, have heard my weather story, but if you're not, this, this man right here actually uh, was the person who got me interested into weather. And so take you back to when I was in third grade. Uh, my mom was director of our PTA or PTO. Some schools, it's different ways, but uh, actually invited Eric to come speak at my school. And Eric, I can't remember, something happened and you wasn't able to, but uh, you called my house, left a, answer, a, a, a voice message on my answer machine, said, hey, can't make it, but would love to invite you and your family down. So we, we got in contact with you and got to do the whole studio tour. And you took me to the Weather Center, which is a little different than it is today. Mm -hmm. we'll, uh, but you really just kicked me into that direction. Like I already had that interest my grandpa and I would always talk about weather, but it was you who kind of just really pushed me over the line. And, and I said, this is what I want to do. So uh, with that, we went huh. to eat dinner down the road here at yep. the Open Kitchen. And so uh, you gave me a stack of weather charts, and I was going to bring them today, but oh I couldn't God. find the box in my basement. So I'm going to have to look for okay. them. And hopefully uh, before I can, I can get them back to you. But uh, it was just really cool. And so uh, you, this is a special interview for me because yeah. you, you're the guy that got me into, into weather. So uh, I appreciate all you've done 
in the Carolinas and, and for me personally, and I know you're going to be missed yeah. uh, greatly in the Carolinas. Everyone knows Eric Thomas and, and just <laughs> such a great representative of our area. And so uh, for everyone, we appreciate your service uh, to, to the area. Yeah. Well, Scotty, thanks a million. I mean, we've all had people who have helped us get to where we are. And if I had a small fraction of that in your growth and development, um, I couldn't be happier. Uh, but it's funny you mentioned the weather chart. Um, I'd have to dig around, but I think I still have it. I grew up in Pittsburgh, and I think I still have a weather chart from a TV station visit, much mm -hmm. like yours, uh, back in the early 70s. Uh, from Bob Kudzma up in uh, Pittsburgh, and it's a DIFAX chart, which I know most people may not know what that is, but it's a weather chart, and it's crumbling now because it's so old, right. but he signed it for me, and I never threw that one away either. Yeah, that yeah. was, uh, <clears throat> I remember it was the it was in March, Final Four. You guys uh, uh. always do the college basketball. So I, you signed it, uh, Delano Little, Paul Cameron was still wow. here, so yeah. I do have that, uh, that that I've kept, so really, yeah. really cool to look back on, but you're talking about your career yep. how, did, how did you get started uh, how how did uh how yep. did you get your interest in weather and talk a little bit about uh, that and you know going to school at penn state yep one of the best meteorology programs if not the best yeah uh, yep. in the nation yep. so let's learn a little bit about uh, the younger eric thomas all right so uh, this might surprise you but i actually grew up unwavering i was going to be a pilot pure and simple and as I got older, we were under like the final approach of the Pittsburgh International Airport. So even as a three-year-old toddler, I was looking up at this guy going, ah, guy, guy, you know, <laughs> loved airplanes. And so as I got older, I never changed that dream. And I was determined, you know, to go to school and get my, you know, my flight certificate and, 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 and become a commercial airline pilot. Mm -hmm. And as I was a junior in high school, my dad, you know, sat me down. He said, okay, let's get serious now. What do you want to do? I said, I'm serious. I want to be a pilot. He says, okay, how do you plan to approach that? And I said, well, I'll go to, you know, Embry-Riddle, which is a civilian flight school in Florida or Florida Institute of Technology or one of these, you know, flight schools. I'm going to go learn to fly. And my dad said, ah, you know, I don't know if that's a really, really good idea. He says, because what if you go through four years of flight school and you get your certificate and your commercial rating and all of this kind of stuff, and then uh, you develop, uh, a, a, you know, eye condition, or, or you develop perhaps a heart murmur or something, mm -hmm. and they won't let you fly anymore. He said, you're going to have a worthless piece of paper. You're going to have this, this certificate, you know, degree, whatever you want to call it, and you're going to be sunk. And I said, oh, well, yeah, I see your point. He goes, why don't you do this? Why don't you go to college and get a, an actual degree in something and then go into the military and get your flight training? And I thought, well, okay, that's a good idea. And so, so then I did a little bit of research, and I thought, okay, what field of study will give me the best chance to be accepted as a pilot in the military? And through my research, I discovered there were two really favorable degrees, aeronautical engineering and meteorology, wow. which makes sense. You're yeah. up there flying around right. in the weather, you know. And so I thought, wow, I really, really like weather. This is perfect. You know, I'll, I'll study meteorology. And, and then, of course, the next question was, well, what schools around here, you know, offer degree programs in meteorology? Well, as you pointed out, it turned out to be Penn State, which is three hours up the road. So Penn State was just my choice because it was convenient. As you mentioned, yeah. it's a great school. And so, yeah, so in 78, uh, off to Penn State, I went in 82. Four years later, I got my degree. And uh, huh. so now here's where the story gets uh, twisted and turned because everything was working out perfectly. So I got my degree and I went to aviation officer candidate school. 
Uh, I had a class date of October of 82 for naval flight training. Basically, you know, you got to go through boot camp and everything. And I got down there in the first two weeks of uh, the first two weeks are all the orientation physicals. Well, wouldn't you know it? I failed <laughs> the physical because and I guess this is on TV so people can kind of see here a little bit. But I had a defective eustachian tube, hmm. so which is a sinus tube. So it wasn't like one of these deals where my eyes were bad or I had a funky heart or anything. But when they put you through this this pressure chamber where they're simulating, you, you know, rapid pressure changes as you're going up and down in, in an airplane, a right. cockpit yeah. of a fighter jet. Uh, when you're coming down through the atmosphere, you have to blow through your nose like scuba divers, it's called Valsalva, and pop your ears like this, you know. And well, my right ear was popping, which was good. My left ear was not popping. And so the pressure just kept pushing harder and harder and harder on my eardrum. And I was supposed to raise my hand when I wasn't feeling comfort, right, like discomfort, yeah, yeah. and I didn't because I didn't want to fail. So I just put up with this pain, mm. and finally a blood vessel broke in my eardrum, Ooh. and and so the whole thing blew up, and I was screaming like a baby, and they came in, and they settled me down, and all of this kind of stuff, and they basically sent me up to the flight surgeon, at which point she determined, it was a female, and she determined that I had this defective eustachian tube, wow. and there was just nothing that they could do for me. And then, boom, she said, thanks for your interest in the United States Navy. Here's your ticket back home to Pittsburgh. Good luck. Have a nice life. Wow. And my 21-year-old dream blew up. You know, And so at this point now, I'm figuring out, okay, I've got a degree in meteorology. What on earth am I going to do? You know, uh, Because I hadn't given it much thought. I was going to be a pilot. And so more twists and turns. And I know we don't have two hours here. <laughs> but I, I, without getting into it, too much, unless you really want to drill down, and you're fine if you do. But for the benefit of, of, of the program here, I'll just jump ahead, and I'll just say that I ended up getting a, uh, a an internship at a small TV station outside of Pittsburgh in Steubenville, Ohio, and they gave me a shot to, to go on the air, and I did okay, you know. And uh, so I was there from uh, the first half of 1984 uh, through June, and then in June of 84, I got my second job at a sm another small station in North Louisiana, uh, Monroe, Louisiana, and I worked there from 84 to 88, at which point then I got my opportunity to come back to Charlotte, and I came back here in 88 as the weekend meteorologist, and then uh, in 1990, I went from Monday through Friday morning and noon, and then in 1993, I went to the weeknight slot, and so you've been seeing me for 28 years now, you know, on uh, Monday through Friday weeknights, right. yeah. Talking about WBTV, being here in Charlotte, uh, what drew you to Charlotte? And you have unique stat or unique perspective <laughs> of being the first <clears throat> certified meteorologist in the city of Charlotte, which in the 80s, not mistaken, Charlotte's starting to really grow and it's a big market. So crazy to know that you're the, you know, yeah. you would thought someone before you would have been. Certified. I would have. Yeah, Charlotte is, is a big market. Um, it was a big market then. It's a much bigger market even now. Um, so I'll start with your first question. What drew me back to Charlotte? Well, it was an opportunity of a lifetime. Um, we used to vacation down here in North Carolina uh, on the coast, admittedly, from Pittsburgh. But I just I al North Carolina was already kind of close to my heart just because I think of North Carolina as like the best time of my life. It was vacation, you know, and and, and I knew Charlotte was a big market. And that's part of the goal, really, if you want to be able to raise a family, send kids to college, the bigger the market, you know, the better the paycheck, quite bluntly, right. you know, and so um, we all kind of wanted to get to bigger markets. And I knew Charlotte was just this up and coming market. I mean, it was a city that was just basically hitting its, its, 
stride, you know. And when we got here in 88, we got here the same year the Charlotte Hornets were starting up. And it was just pure excitement. The, the city was just alive, you know. And, and it was a good place for us because my hometown was Pittsburgh. Vicky, my wife's hometown was in Louisiana. That's where I met my wife when I was down there. So we were kind of halfway in between our two homes. And then everything else. I mean, you've got the mountains 90 minutes to the to the west of us, you have the beaches three hours to the east. And, and I told Vicki, I said, if, if I'm allowed to grow here at WBTV, uh, I want, this is where I want to retire. And, and, I, and, and, and I'm retiring here. So, so God gave me, you know, all these blessings. And, and the beauty of not having to move around is that, you know, you don't have to move your kids around. I never had to move as a kid. You know, I, I grew up in one spot my entire childhood, never had to make new friends. And I thought if I can do that for my children, you know, and not move them around the country, I'm, that's what I want to do for them. Which in this industry, that that's a big thing, especially starting off young. You're you're moving every two or three years, so to yeah. know that this is your third station, yeah, and here you've been for the rest rest of the uh, the career. So yeah, um, let's talk about this little fun question. I guess people may want to. Where was your vacation spot here in the Carolinas? Oh, it was Nags Head. Okay. Oh yeah, Nags Head. In fact, we went back there just a few years ago. And um, I was looking for the little pink cottage that we used to stay there in down there. And it's not there anymore. As you know, every, everywhere is growing up right. now so fast. But I, I basically knew about where the spot was because we were, I don't know if you're familiar with Nags Head, yeah. but yeah, the, the sand dunes. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. our little pink cottage was right across from the sand dunes uh, there, not, not far from Kitty Hawk. And, uh, and so it was just so great to go back and kind of have those flashbacks, you know, and relive some of those memories yeah great place to, yeah. to visit and to even to live there i mean you know oh that'd gosh be a great place except hurricane season i guess i don't uh, know <laughs> yeah so true speaking of hurricanes yeah. um you got here yeah we were talking uh first big assignment was a, a big tornado in the raleigh area mm-hmm. followed by what i believe a lot of people in the carolinas will determine the benchmark storm yeah hurricane hugo of course yeah uh, I guess what you're maybe here a year, maybe, maybe a little bit less. Yeah. What, what was that like? It was, I felt helpless in many respects and, and I'm going to explain that. Um, but you, well, okay. So I got here in September of 88 and in November of 88, we had a devastating F4 tornado that went through the Raleigh area. And remember, I, I just came up here from a teeny tiny little TV market. And so I was a little bit overwhelmed as it was, you know, seeing the big city. I mean, I grew up in a big city, but I mean, big market television. You're flying around in helicopters now and all of this kind of stuff. And they're like, Eric, you're getting on the helicopter. We're flying you up to Raleigh and we want you to do a live report, you know, and an analysis of this tornado, this F4 tornado. I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, what about, am, am I in over my head, you know, at this point? I mean, it's just intimidating, you know, doing that kind of television, but it, it went fine. Uh, and then as you pointed out, what, 12 months later, less than that, here comes Hurricane Hugo. Now, I said I felt helpless, and here's why. The first two, the first two teeny tiny stations I was in had a full-blown weather department. So we had all of the weather charts, you know, and we were able to do all of our own analysis and all of this. Well, as you pointed out, you know, I got here as the first degreed meteorologist to ever work in Charlotte Television, which was unbelievable if you think about it, in 1988. And because there was no meteorologist that preceded me at WBTV, we didn't have any of the analytical equipment here. So basically all we had for about the first year or two that I was here was just two little eight by 10 sheets of paper that came off a fax machine that was sent to us from AccuWeather. Right. 
And all I'm looking at are these little surface maps that show the little cold front, the little warm front, and the high pressure and the low pressure systems. And and then we would get like a phone briefing, you know, from AccuWeather. Um, now, to their credit, they did a good job, you know, tracking this hurricane coming, you know, into Charleston, South Carolina. But but it was still a very helpless feeling because you've got this this massive hurricane coming into the Carolinas. It's becoming more and more apparent that this thing is not going to just curve up the coast, and it's going to come crashing on up, you know, the I twenty six corridor and right into Charlotte. Mm-hmm. And I I don't have anything to look at. I'm flying blind here, and I'm trying to do the best job I can to describe something I can't see really, you know. And of course, back then too in the eighties, you know, we didn't have nearly the the radar that we have today or the satellite imagery that we have. So, you know, we were really, you know, working with two hands tied behind our back, but we did the best we could to get through it. And then um, overall, I thought the forecast was was pretty good. I mean, nobody could have predicted that it would have been this devastating, this far inland. Uh, and that, that, of course, brings me to part two of, of, of the question, which is like, how did you process this whole storm? And, and really, to me, the bigger the bigger part of that was when that sun came up mm-hmm. the next morning. And you're looking around and seeing just mass devastation everywhere. I mean, when I drove down the hill from my TV station and I'm seeing National Guardsmen in the intersection with M16 machine guns, you know, directing traffic, that is sobering, yeah. you know, and you realize this is bad. This is really, really bad. And I mean, you know, and but but we all came through it. Everybody pulled together, as you know. Um, neighbors helping neighbors, grilling out on the back decks, waiting for the power to come on three weeks later in some cases. Uh, and, you know, the, the sounds of those chainsaws, you know, that you're hearing either nearby or in the distance for, for days and days and days on end. Something I'll never forget. So what was it like, Eric? Um, let's say two weeks after that, things kind of starting to calm down. You're like, oh, my gosh, <laughs> do I want to do this? I yeah. mean, you just the biggest one of the biggest well, devastating storms. Just- yeah. I mean, you know, part of it was, you know, you feel helpless because of the lack of, you know, equipment that we had at that point. But part of it was exhilarating, too, because you really feel like, wow, people are really depending on me. You know, they're depending on us, you know, and and what what an opportunity, what a privilege it is to be able to serve your community in such a visceral way, you know, where um, you're on the front lines, you know, kind of like, if you will, where, where the bullets are flying. And, and it just felt, you know, in that regard, like, wow, this is just an awesome responsibility and how lucky I am that people are trusting me, you know, both my employer trusting me, but also the community, you know, putting their trust in me to guide them through, you know, these kinds of events, these kinds of situations. So, you know, overall, um, it probably did a lot for, you know, my confidence going forward. Like if I can handle this, I can handle just about anything. You know. Was he the news director's ear saying, we've got to get better equipment? We've got to get oh, yeah. Better. Oh, yeah. Uh, that accelerated that, for sure. And uh, it wasn't long where we had a fully you know, operational you know, meteorological weather center down there. And um, it's, been, um, it's been that way ever since. And um, so, yeah. So it's, it's, it's been a very good uh, fit you know, for me and a good setup here. Yeah. So, Eric, um, recapping Hugo. Hugo uh, we've seen a lot in the weather. Could you imagine forecasting today's hurricanes with that technology? So I guess the question is, how has this enterprise, how has um, how has everything 
shifted from the 80s when you started to mm. 2021 now? Well, as you pointed out, the technology's gotten a lot better. Um, and the models, the model data that we rely on have gotten a lot better. Uh, there's a lot more models that we get to look at now. You know, sometimes, you know, back then when we didn't have all these supercomputers, you know, that were basically charting up all these forecasts for us, if you will, uh, you really felt like a forecaster back then. Now, um, I still have as much knowledge, probably more than I did back then, but, but we have so many models to look at now, sometimes I feel like I'm more like a referee than I am a forecaster. Um, whereas we have all this data to pour over now, and it's it's more or less up to us to decide, you know, which model do we believe, which model initialized the best, which model has the, uh, the best track record in the area. Uh, we understand what the biases are of the various models, and that helps us to then decide which, you know, solution we're going to lean on or lean toward when we when we do make the final call. So we have a ton more data. On the other hand, we have a lot less time, you know, to to really analyze the data. So it, it, it was kind of a trade-off because we have a lot more data coming in, we have better data coming in, but then we have less time to look at it. And why do what do I mean by less time? Well, back in the 80s, you know, in the 90s, we had two newscasts in, a, in an eight-hour shift. We had a six o'clock news, we had 11 o'clock news. Well, then over time, they kept adding more and more newscasts. You know, right now, our lineup of news right now, and, and I'm gonna break this out in half-hour segments. Yeah. Uh, you know, some, some newscasts are billed as hour-long, but basically they're half-hour segments, at least in terms of weather. Mm -hmm. So right now, our lineup is a four o'clock news, a 4.30, a five, a 5.30, a six, a seven, a 7.30, and an 11. And we used to have a 10, and we used to have an eight, an hour-long eight. Uh, who knows, maybe those will come back one day. But we're on the air for 75% of our shift now. You know, and, and, and on top of all these newscasts that we have to do, we have social media responsibilities. You know, we're having to keep up with Facebook pages, we're having to keep up with our station's website, we're having to keep up uh, with the WBTV weather app, you know, we're, so there's all these other digital products that we're having to update at this point as well. You know, there's these streaming services that are coming out now. We're going to be required to do more on those, you know, with like Roku and Amazon and all these, you know, things. Um, and so it's changed from the standpoint of where in the early days, you know, my job was probably 80% meteorology and 20% broadcasting. And it's probably flipped now. Wow. Yeah, it's probably 20% meteorology and 80% just cranking out shows, you know, or cranking out social media. And uh, so, you know, in that regard, as somebody who's like a dyed-in-the-wool, you know, red-blooded meteorologist, it, it, it's not what I signed up for, yeah. to be very honest, you know, back 30, 35 years ago. And... Um, so, yeah, that, that was a component as to, like, how much longer do I want to keep doing this? Right. Yeah. And with that, you are always being observed by consultants and mm -hmm. who may not be weather savvy. Right. Know, they, they may not know all of this, and they're trying to tell you this is how you can prove. And I'm sure that has also yeah. kind of hurt. Well, know. yeah, the consultants – they do all this audience research, and and so they're giving us the information based on you know the 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 feedback that they're getting you know from the audience, 
And, you know, let's face it, you know, the, the habits have changed. You know, viewer habits are changing. Um, you know, along came the Internet. Well, I'll go all the way back. I'll start off with the late 80s, with the 80s. You know, along came the Weather Channel. Yeah. Now, you might be thinking, well, what's the big deal with the Weather Channel? It actually was a big deal because in the very early days, we would get about four and a half minutes to do a weather strip. All right. Four and a half minutes. Are you kidding? What, what do you need four and a half minutes for? Well, before the Weather Channel came along, we had to give an, an entire national weather discussion. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So we were talking about the cold front moving through the Rockies. Uh, now, you know, if the cold front was moving through the Rockies and, you know, poofing out, you, you know, maybe we wouldn't. Yeah. But but if the cold front was moving through the Rockies and creating three feet of snow, you know, in Denver and maybe severe weather across the plains, we would definitely talk about that because people have friends and relatives who live in different parts of the country. You know, so we had to talk about the whole national weather discussion, um, which to me was kind of fun. Well, then the Weather Channel came along. And so then it was discovered that if people really want the national weather, they're going to go to the Weather Channel. So then the consultants came to us and they said, look, you don't need to be talking about the national weather anymore. Just talk about local weather. Okay, fair enough. You know, and in addition to that, well, you don't need four and a half minutes anymore either. <laughs> so we're going to cut you down to two. You know, and, and so now we're doing two minutes of local weather. And, you know, it, 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 for me, you know, it took some of the fun out of it. Right. You, you know, it was fun to be able to do, you know, this whole big, you know, meteorological overview of everything. Um, but, but look, you got to do what you got to do. You, you, you know, you can't be putting out information and content that nobody cares about. So, so I get that. I don't have any hard feelings toward the consultants. Uh, but, but they definitely were the messenger, if you will, as to, you know, sorry, but we're not in the 1980s anymore. You know, here's, here's how you have to do weather now. And, and so then, we, then, of course, came along the Internet. Mm -hmm. uh, and people now are walking around with their laptops, you know, or their desktop, and they can get news, weather, and sports, you know, with a keyboard and a mouse. You know, um, now suddenly we have to figure out how do we get them back off their computer and back to the TV station. Uh, and so, and then finally, here comes the smartphones. Right. So now everybody's getting news, weather, and sports in their shirt pocket. They're yeah. carrying it around in their shirt pocket. And yet again now, so every time one of these new technologies comes along, we're getting fewer and fewer viewers, you know, on the mothership, if you will, because they're getting this information everywhere else but TV. And so as a result, TV has been in decline uh, where we have fewer and fewer viewers. And and as a result, we're having to continually change, you know, our workflow and, and the way we present, you know, all of our information. And, and, and because of that, a lot of our attention now has been turned away from television and turned toward all the different social media platforms. And for me, I always tell people that these, ten, these smartphones, they came along 10 years too late because I need reading glasses every time I look <laughs> at my smartphone. And, and so I'm just not really very good, yeah. you know, with this, uh, you know, pull my smartphone out and, you know, post this or tap out text messages to that, you know. And, um, and I just realized that this, I'm just not, this is not my strength you know, anymore. Um, and 
it's time to maybe hand it off to the next generation of, of broadcasters and meteorologists who are really, really good at this. You know, they grew up with this stuff in the crib, you know, and, and um, you know, my, I, I really, as I say, I cut my teeth on broadcasting and news and, and, but I'm not a generational social media person. And so I just feel like we're going to be in better hands, you know, with the next generation meteorologists that come along who are better equipped, you know, to, uh, to deal, you know, with all this technology. Yeah. So talking about, you know, how the, the stations change, one thing that's not changed is your relationship with WBTV. Mm-hmm. Uh, being in a market at a station for 30 plus years is pretty abnormal in, yeah. in broadcasting. And then having a sidekick in Al Conklin, who's been <laughs> here almost as long as you have. Right. I mean, What's the dynamic with Al? I feel like you guys are brothers. Oh, you, man. You know? No, no, that's all. No, Al has been a thorn in my side for 20. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Al, that's a joke. No, uh, Al is a great guy. Um, we are like brothers. There's no question about it. And uh, Al brought some philosophies here when he got here in the early 90s, which I, we still use to this day about how to hand off forecasts to each other uh, and uh, coordinate. And uh, so we work, you know, even though we don't see each other much, but, you know, the handoffs, the coordination, we, we We've always had a very good working relationship, and uh, yeah, I've been really, really lucky because he could he could be a chief meteorologist in any market in this country, and to have him as my right hand man has just been a total, total blessing. And what's yeah. what's kept you here at WETV in Charlotte? Well, you know, it's kind of like <clears throat> my first impression. You, you know, I got here; it was a booming city. Um, it was modern. Um, it was halfway between, as I say, my two families, you know, my, my family in Pittsburgh, Vicki down in Louisiana. Uh, I just love the location. You know, it's the Sun Belt. I go out in January 15th and I'm looking at blue sky and sunshine. You don't get that in Pittsburgh. You know, you get six months of gray stratocumulus every day, <laughs> you know, and it's depressing. Uh, but, but yeah, you've got the mountains 90 minutes to your west. You've got the coastal resorts just three hours to your east. What's not to like? You know, I, I wasn't worried about cha- like chasing the almighty dollar and trying to get to L.A. or New York. I wanted to have a good balance of, you know, a, a, you know, a, a standard of living that, you know, I could give my family. But at the same time, you know, not not have to move them around and make those other sacrifices, you know, and so, and Charlotte really offered that. Yeah. So here at WBTV, you've been working on, on two projects, one weather related with the radars. Um, maybe yeah. we can talk a little bit about that. And the other one, that's something that's near and dear to you is adoption and, yeah. and helping kids be adopted into loving families. So okay, to talk a little bit about yeah. both of those yeah. projects, I'll give you a quick, quick on each. You've been involved with the radar. Um, so, uh, for folks who, uh, who pay attention to weather at all, you know, around this area, they probably heard us whining and complaining about the radar hole that we are in because when they, uh, modernized the, uh, Doppler radar system back in the mid nineties, uh, they took our radar away from Charlotte. And so, um, we got lucky because we did end up getting a radar on Greenville Spartanburg, which we originally weren't even supposed to have that. But Senator Hollings in South Carolina fought for that. And that helped at least cover, you know, even the Western portions of North Carolina. It, it didn't do the whole trick, but it helped. Uh, and then otherwise, the closest radar to us is uh, Columbia and, and Raleigh. And, and again, those radars are far away. And they don't give us the low-level detail that we would like to see when it comes to these localized storms and the potential for tornadoes and things like that. And so thanks to you, too, you know, you've been helping us with this, but we have been uh, uh, pressing hard to our local, state, and, and uh, federal government officials to rethink uh, that decision and build 
build a better radar system here in the western portion of the Carolinas. In fact, we even got Donald Trump to sign legislation on that, uh, although the legislation didn't actually get us very far. Um, and so without getting into the weeds, uh, they really didn't make any significant changes for us. So instead, we're now turning to the private industry, uh, although we're trying to actually forge a public-private relationship where we still think local and state government can help us. Uh, underwrite um, some of this uh, project that we're doing, but we're hoping to put up a, a radar network here, a Doppler radar network, maybe as early as late 2022, 2023, um, to fill that gap. And right now, it's looking good, you know, that we'll be able to see this to the finish line. Uh, we have NC State in the loop now, um, and they're they're on board. And so we have a lot of, you know, heavy hitters now who I think are going to help get this across the finish line. Much needed uh, tornado that you covered <laughs> in Harrisburg oh, kind boy. of was yeah. uh, as eye-opener. We, we need this around. Here. Absolutely. This is a, uh, an almost an F3 tornado that went through Harrisburg and the northeastern end of, of Charlotte. And um, it was like nine miles from the terminal Doppler radar that we have here in Mecklenburg County, which... Didn't help. Yeah. Apparently, they didn't issue a tornado warning, you know, for it, and um, at least for that part, that portion of the area, and um, yeah, I th that kind of made our case to say, well, look, I know we have this little radar here in Mecklenburg County, but how much did it help? Apparently, not much. Right. Yeah. Forever family. Okay. Big thing for you. I was adopted. Um, I was adopted as an infant, um, and you know, I have always felt like I'm the luckiest guy on earth. You know, um, I had people looking out for me before I was born, including my birth mother. My birth mother knew that she was not going to be able to raise me. Um, and her doctor ended up being a family, a, a distant family relative of, of my immediate family. And he knew that my mom was having trouble having kids. And so he called her and said, look, I have a patient here who um, is going to be putting a baby up for adoption. Uh, and I know you're having trouble having kids. Do you want do you want a Do you want a baby? Uh, so, wow. so it happened through a family connection, and of course, my mom was stuck on one kid, and we're Catholics, and you know, Catholics got to have big <laughs> families. So, especially back then, and so my mom was yes. I think she said yes before she even hung up the phone and asked my dad. Wow. So, but, but, uh, so I have uh, nothing but just pure gratitude for all the people who helped me, you know, and gave me all the opportunities that they gave me. Um, by making the sacrifices that they made, my birth mother, you know, giving me up. I mean, that just can't be easy. I don't care what your circumstances are. And then my mom and my family taking me in, you know, and raising me as their own. Uh, and now I want to pay it forward. And so we do a weekly series every Tuesday at seven, uh, featuring a foster child uh, who is waiting for their own chance at an adoption and a forever family and a forever home. And it's been great. Two out of every three kids that we feature are getting matched Great. with families. And, and, and you know, sometimes, not sometimes, oftentimes uh, when people find out they can't adopt that child, they say, well, who else is available? So there's even more children down the line who are getting adopted because of this. And uh, it's easily the most rewarding thing I've ever done. That, that's yeah. awesome. That's great. Um, Eric, yeah. you, you, you told us a little bit you're going to be doing some photography, videography yeah. when you retire. 
please tell us you're going you're gonna to continue staying here in the Carolinas. We'll still be able to see you around. Absolutely. Right? We're not going anywhere. And and so please uh, stay in touch with my Facebook page. I'll keep my Twitter account going. And um, hopefully we can still have some fun interacting through those things. Well, Eric, I yeah. appreciate your time. Great interview. Uh, we wish you all the best of luck. And uh, thanks for hanging out with us today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Love what you guys are doing up in the foothills. You're taking good care of your folks up there. So keep it going, pal. Thank you. And thank you all for watching the Carolina Weather Group, the special interview with Eric Thomas. Uh, you can still tweet him and, and well wishes for a happy retirement. And we appreciate you watching. We hope you have a great night. Well, the purpose, what we're really concerned about, folks, is some storms that may be coming in a little bit later this year. Eric, I just want to say a big thank you for the impact that you've had on my life. I remember growing up watching you in the Charlotte metro area. I'm going to miss you so much. I love you like a brother. You have taught me so much as a meteorologist, and I've had the honor and the privilege to not only watch you as a kid, but also be able to work with you firsthand here at the WBTV weather team. And I'm just so thankful for the time that we've had together. I'm sad for you to retire. It's not gonna be the same without you. You are an incredible person inside and out. And you've done so many great things for our community, for our station, and for the state of North and South Carolina. So again, thank you so much for the work that you've done. And again, uh, good luck on the next chapter. I love you, brother. Otherwise, I'm just going to tell you it's sunny and blue sky here, but at least there's something in the pipeline here. All right, so Eric Thomas, uh, way before I was actually ready, he took me on as an intern. I was way too young. I graduated high school. I'm going to date myself in 1994. Uh, he took me on as an intern in 1996. Uh, and helped to kind of launch my meteorology career. Uh, I was so fascinated by the TV business, the weather business, um, Eric's energy, just every single day he came in um, and was just always excited and pumped about what was happening in the weather. Uh, and I love that enthusiasm. And I'll never forget one of my greatest memories from that uh, internship was I begged him and begged him to let me go with the cruise down to Wrightsville Beach uh, in July of 1996 to cover Hurricane Bertha. Um, and he said yes, and the somehow there, the management there said yes, and I ended up chasing my very first hurricane. Uh, so Eric, best of luck to you, and thank you for helping jumpstart this meteorologist career. This huge area of high pressure that we have uh, that's in control right now of the weather pattern. And so with it, it brought that cool Canadian Chris Bear along with it. Eric Thomas? Leaving after 33 years? It's about time. We've been trying to get with this guy all this time. Actually, uh, Eric, you've been such a, a great friend and no better competition. And think about it. Clyde McLean, Mike McKay, Eric Thomas. What a triumvirate you've had over there at Channel 3. So we'll miss you, kind of. And stop by and see us sometime in that retirement. Best of luck to you. You're the best. It's, it's just a totally decoupled atmosphere. So you got like an east-northeast flow here. Okay, so what can I say about Eric Thomas? Uh, there's a lot of things I could say about Eric, but the one thing that you know um, as a fellow meteorologist, he's the weatherman's weatherman. What I mean by that is when you watch Eric as a fellow weather geek, you get the same weather geekness out of Eric that you would out of me. And so I really appreciate that about him. And to think he did all of this in his long illustrious career while still attending a school like Penn State. 
No, I kid, I kid, I kid. It's a Buckeye, I can make fun of him. But one thing I'll tell you that really separates Eric apart from a lot of meteorologists, and it's something that I take from him, is how much he cares deeply for the community, whether it's giving back um, to foster children or adoption, or what he's been doing with the North Carolina Radar Project. He deeply cares about the community he lives in. It shows on the air, it showed over his career. And I know one thing a lot of folks in the Western Carolinas will miss that about Eric, even more so than his forecasting ability, is how much he gave back to the community. So Eric, congratulations, well-deserved. Can't wait to work with you in the future on this North Carolina Radar Project. Hopefully we can do big things for the Western Carolinas and good luck. And here's to a great career enjoying the weather while not having to be in front of the camera all the time. And let's keep those pictures and videos pouring in because you do some great work there as well. Congratulations, Eric. It's down into Florida. All right, I'll draw front number two. Bring this guy down here in the Midwest. Hey, Scotty and everybody with the Carolina Weather Group. I just want to uh, make mention here real quick of the passing of the baton. Meteorologist Al Conklin of WBTV, soon to be chief, but not before Eric Thomas puts in at least another week and a half or so. Uh, of course, Eric, I've enjoyed working with you over these last 29 years. Uh, you've been here for 33. You taught me so much about wedges and how we have a different setup on severe weather here. And of course, we covered some big storms. Hurricane Floyd in 99, the big ice storm here in 2002, and countless floods and droughts and severe thunderstorm warnings. So anyway, I've learned a lot. Hopefully I've taught you a little bit and we've certainly grown together and now you're riding off into the sunset. So I wanna wish you and uh, Vicki very well in your retirement. And uh, you know, I know we can always get up with you if we need you back here. But of course now the only blizzards you'll be chasing will be down there at Dairy Queen. So happy retirement, Eric. Eric Thomas, my goodness, uh, man, I can't believe the day is here for your retirement. Uh, I owe so much to you. Uh, it's very humbling to be able to do this. Um, I thank you as a fourth grade kid who allowed me to come into uh, WBTV Studios, tour the Weather Center, even be on TV with you to do a weather segment. Uh, that just meant the world to me and really pushed me into doing uh, weather as my career. So all of that, I give thanks to you uh, for helping me out there. And I appreciate you being a friend and a mentor throughout my career. Uh, we were covering a severe weather event and in NWS chat, there was a, a little dropout window and you sent me a message and said, man, you are, you're so proud of me and, and of all the accomplishments and, and that meant the world to me. So Eric, thank you from the bottom of my heart for all that you've done for the Carolinas. Uh, thank you for all you've done for us here at the Carolina Weather Group. You've been so generous with your time and uh, just coming on and chatting with us. So I appreciate that. I know retirement is not going to be uh, very restful for you. I know you have a lot of opportunities coming up. I know Vicki and the kids and the grandkids are all excited to have you around a little bit more. So uh, very happy about that. So don't forget, we still have some golf to play, some barbecue to eat maybe even chase some storms who knows what we'll be able to do but i uh, definitely look forward to staying in touch with you and eric once again happy retirement and for everyone here in the carolinas thank you for all you've done what i just told you guys i just said well you know i'm seeing some rotating updrafts but you know nothing approaching you know what what looks like a tornado at this point and uh so yeah so we got through the day without a tornado warning uh Live data you're heading out right now. We've got some still 
nice and warm in the atmosphere, keeping us delightful. 75 degrees, that's the number in Charlotte, mid-70s all the way down into the upstate of South Carolina.